He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host. I'm joined here by the rest of the Munson's. Want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. Warren, we'll start with you this week. Yeah, not not too much as per usual. You know, things are kind of getting uh, a little bit more back to normal. And so... Spending less time in front of the TV, more time out, you know, enjoying, well, loosely say enjoying things out in the real world. Sometimes the TV is still just that uh, that safety blanket that I, I need because I'm socially awkward at times. Same. Mm, and we all. Rigby. Happy to be getting back to normal. Been double vaxxed. So I'm <laughs> ready to take on the new world. Although I, like Warren, I'm also socially awkward. So maybe a return to normalcy is going to be harder than I think. But... I'm ready for it, man. It's been a long, long time coming. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Case. Not a whole lot going on my end. I'm, I'm just dealing with uh, the media storm and how to update my resume to indicate that two different celebrities have liked tweets that I've been a part of. <laughs> my boy Ted Lasso, a.k.a. Sudeikis, liked my Halloween costume. And now we got Bonnie Hunt. Running around Twitter, liking all the months at the movies thing regarding her episodes. So that's that's pretty cool. <laughs> Good thing I'm not easily starstruck. Though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think she actually listened, but it's probably false. She probably was just like, "All right, these people keep bothering me, so I'll just hit like, and maybe they'll stop." But <laughs> James, excited to be here. Unlike Craig, I was very much starstruck. I sent that picture to a lot of people. Again. <laughs> You will get a flawless score if you come on the pod. I will give you. I will be so just blown away by any celebrity being here. You'll easily get a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, not not too much on my end, guys. I'm just I'm I'm looking forward to get hopefully get back to the theaters here sometime soon. We got mm-hmm. some decent little blockbusters coming. I finally saw the trailer for the Eternals, and I'm jacked up about that. I think Chloe Zhao is going to do some cool stuff with that. So pump for that. But I am additionally pumped for another guest, Munson. Another new guest, Munson. We've got Sam Phillips with us. Sam is a degenerate friend of Warren's who took a semester of film classes at A&M and thinks he's an expert on movies. Fits right in. Yes, he does. <laughs> his favorite movie is Mean Streets. His second favorite is The Cat in the Hat. Now we know why he's here to do <laughs> an episode on Dakota Fanning. Welcome, Sam. <laughs> Thanks, I appreciate it. I uh, overqualified by that bio. <laughs> yeah, well, I took I took my victory lap at A and M and uh, decided I'd do some film classes just just for the heck of it. And it was a lot of fun. Learned a lot of stuff, how to shoot, how to do all that kind of stuff. And since then, I'm I'm not really a film snob, but I pretty much watch everything that comes out. You're gonna fit right in, my friend. <laughs> Good to go. Locked and loaded, baby. Let's go. Birthdays, May 20th, Warren, what do we got? All right, Timothy Oliphant. He's in Deadwood, Justified, Girl Next Door, Live Free or Die Hard, and Hitman. Great bad guy in Live Free or Die Hard. 52, Warren. 45. Ooh. <sighs> Give me 49. I'm going to go high, and I'm going to go 55. Say 51. 
All right. Timothy Oliphant is 53. I think half of y'all were thinking of Josh Demel. Uh, that's why you went a little bit low. That's fine. <laughs> but everyone's married to Fergie is the number, I guess. Rigby takes that one with 52. Sweet. Second up, we got Cher, Moonstruck, and then everything else she did. <laughs> <sighs> I never watched Burlesque, and that was the only other movie that I recognized. Based on her latest social media endeavor, I'm going to give her a... 85, because she was clueless about getting going on social media. I'll go 80 on the dot. 78. I'll go with 82. Give me 86. Oh, man. Bunch of assholes here. She's 75. Yeah. Oh, shit. Wow. <laughs> so I was right. That's great. I was intentionally going really high, because I thought you guys would come in underneath me, but I guess it uh, <laughs> all of... gravitated towards that number. Yeah. Bunch of real Munsons here. I'll give her credit. Is no one knows how old she is because she's been the same age for fifty years. Like I have no idea. That was a pure guess. I was I was peppering based on your guys' guesses. <laughs> yeah. Last off, we got uh, Jack Gleason, Joffrey Baratheon from Game of Thrones, and he was the little boy in Batman Begins. Okay, there we go. Well, he's my favorite character in Game of Thrones, and uh, spoiler alert, he gets murdered in there, and I know he died at the age of 16, so that will be my final answer. <laughs> <He's sick>. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, uh, 28. 24. Mm, 27. I don't watch Game of Thrones. I have no idea who this human is, so I'm just going to go 29? Kyle wins, 29. Wow. <laughs> that back, backdoor bastard. <laughs> he is the most hateable character I've ever seen on a TV show. <laughs> Those are the birthdays, May 20th. Cool. Thanks, Warren. All right. Well, we threw five actors onto the wheel per usual. And those five were Goldie Hawn, Angelina Jolie, Russell Crowe, Cameron Diaz, and Hannah Dakota Fanning. If you're wondering what her full name is, it is Hannah. Dakota. And the wheel has spoken, and we are going to get into Dakota Fanning, despite the fact that uh, Sam, I think, convinced Warren that we were going to do Russell Crowe for a hot minute there. Um, (laughs) What a dick. (laughs) (laughs) We colluded a little bit on that front to try to keep Warren to go down that path, but we are doing Hannah Dakota Fanning. She's got about 67 credits to her name. She, I think it's the first pure like legit child actor we've covered and as you look at her career she's done quite a bit a lot of films done a bunch of shorts uh, quite a few brief tv appearances especially earlier in her career but before we get into all that we'll do some trivia with james i'm gonna (laughs) state three facts two of them are true and are about dakota fanning and one of them is false and is in fact about a cast member from the fast and the furious franchise now, you just got to figure out which one is false. You do not have to figure out which one is false and who it is about. But the other guys usually give it a shot when it comes to that as well. All right. So I'll read through the, the three facts, and then you guys will guess. So fact number one, she was raised Jehovah's Witness. Fact number two, she's a direct descendant of King Edward I, a.k.a. Longshanks, from Braveheart. Hmm. Fact number three, she was twice voted homecoming queen. Hmm. <laughs> I think the Longshanks one is definitely Vin Diesel. <laughs> I hope. I hope. He's royalty. I can see it. I was actually going to say number three was the lion. That was Vin Diesel. <laughs> <laughs> I think one is the lie, but I don't know. I'll just say it's Vin Diesel for the, <laughs> for the Jehovah's Witness because I'm, I'm out of Fast and Furious characters. Guys, 
the first one is the lie, so Rigby's right. Oh, no. But that was actually Constance Bracewell, the CG supervisor on the original Fast and Furious <laughs> movie. Okay. Classic. Big, big Jehovah's Witness. I'm going to go with uh, number two, and I think James is up to some trickery here. I'm going to try to catch him on. I think that is actually about Dakota Fanning's co-star of Trap, Charlize Theron. Oh. Star of Fate of the Furious, or as it's known in Japan... As Wild Speed, Icebreaker. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying is based on last week's uh, fact about Charlize Theron is that her mom killed a direct descendant of King Edward uh, Longshanks of England. So her mom yep. essentially ended the bloodline. Okay, cool. All right. So just need to know where we're at. Yep, I'm in. Fact number two is true. She is a direct descendant of King Edward, a.k.a. Longshanks from Braveheart. Dang. I love Braveheart. I watched that movie a thousand times. I hated Longshanks. Yeah. Finding out that she was a direct descendant of him, I thought was pretty cool. Uh, that is according to Ancestry.com. They've never lied once. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she, she's actually also, according to that, is uh, 23rd Cousins with Kate Middleton. And to us, that sounds absurd, but in England, apparently that means something. Fact number three, she was twice voted homecoming queen. That is true. She graduated from Campbell Hall School in California, whose notable alumni include all the Olsons, Mary-Kate, Ashley, and Elizabeth, Ariel Winter, Paul Thomas Anderson, John David Washington, and the pro basketball players Aaron Justin and J. Rue Holiday. So it must be just like a nice, really nice area. Because mm-hmm. these are all fairly young, famous people, so that must be an up-and-coming spot. And fact number one was raised Jehovah's yeah. Witness. Not true. That is a fact about Ja Rule, the star of the original Fast and Furious movie who turned down a recurring role in the sequel, which eventually led to Ludacris being cast in the movie. Ludacris has made $25 million for his roles in those movies. Wow. (laughs) And Ja Rule has done uh, Firefest. Firefest, that is correct. (laughs) All right. Good job, James. Everybody guessed one on that one, so you got us across the board on that front, which is nice. It means you did your job well. Longshank sucks. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Case, what about her snapshot in box office history? Being a part of the Twilight series has definitely helped her balance out her box office footprint. You know, she hovers around the middle of the pack in in comparing her to a lot of the other performers. However, it's a little bit misleading because I had to omit five of her films from the averages that we use because there was just no reported budget. And that usually happens when there's smaller independent films. Also, it happens when it doesn't do very well at the box office, so they don't want to report that they had a $5 million budget and they had a uh, you know, $300,000 know, world gross. That being said, from a world gross standpoint, she's one of the worst, I guess, in the people we've looked at in that she's had five movies that have world gross less than $300,000. Mm. In fact, Dakota Fanning has the fourth worst world grossing movie on our list and that movie only world grossed eleven thousand dollars does anybody want to take a guess at which movie it was hansel and gretel no way kim possible no that probably did great no dude that i bet that movie fucking raked it in Dude, there was a student in my class the other day watching Kim Possible when she should have been. Yeah, that's right. So. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was Hound Dog. Good call. Because it got pulled because of rape scenes. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I specifically didn't watch it for that reason, so I hope it's that one. <laughs> How about the motel life? I, I would have guessed 
hound dog, but I remember it getting some attention. And for that reason, you'd think people would go watch it just for that. But that, that's the only guess I could really think of. Hound dog made more money on opening weekend than this did before it got pulled. The winner of this would have been Very Good Girls at $11,000. With Elizabeth Olsen. Going a a little bit further into her numbers that we compare against everybody else, a couple stood out to me. Number one, her IMDb star meter is 401, which ranks her sixth on our board. And that blew my mind. Same. And then the second set of numbers that kind of floored me was that she has not been well-received in both critic and fan reviews, averaging a 43.8 and a 54% respectively, ranking her 34th out of 36 in both categories on our board. Yikes. Yeah. So that movie grossed a 2011 Chevy Equinox. (laughs) (laughs) How many miles? Pre-owned with 58,000 miles. (laughs) Do you you have Auto Trader up right now? I do. I, <laughs> I hope it's got leather feet. <laughs> Auto trader. Dang. I'm proud of you, James. Thanks for the, the research there. <laughs> all right. With all your metrics, what does she line up? Average out some strong box office numbers with a surprisingly high IMDb and poor critic and fan ranking. And that puts her 22 out of 36. So finishing right in the middle of the pack. Let's see if our opinions line up with 22 of 36 when it's all said and done. As we dig into her career, we will get into first feature film in 2001, which means she's only been acting for about 20 years or so, which comparatively to some of the other performers we've looked at is pretty short. You know, I think we've run into quite a few that have been at it for 30, 40 years. Let's say how old she is. (laughs) Yeah, she's born in what, 94, 94. I think. So that makes her what, 26, 27? 27, I think. So despite the fact she's only been acting for 20 years, it's most of her human life. So... She's been pretty busy, that's for sure. But she began acting at the age of five, so there were 99 in Tide detergent commercials and also doing plays at the Town Lake Arts Center in Georgia. She's from Georgia. Parents are both athletes. She has a very famous sister named Elle Fanning, who I think is three or four years younger than her, who has been doing all sorts of things in the entertainment world these days, and some might even say is bigger than Dakota right now, but we'll get there. She was homeschooled until eighth grade, and after that is when she went to high school. And as James had mentioned, she became pretty popular. She was a cheerleader and was homecoming queen a few times. So when she did move away from the homeschooling world, uh, the kids generally liked her. Or they just saw her as the person that uh, is in movies and let's just be nice to her because she can maybe do cool things. Who knows? You'd have to get an interview from a, a person closer to her in her younger days, which we did not do. But her first role was in ER, an episode of ER in 2000. She had leukemia and was in a car crash. Speaks pretty fondly of that um, early on in her career. She was, what, six at the time. I watched a clip of it. It was it was awkward as hell. Yeah. Not, beca- not because of her. Well, they had her like tubes running in and out of her. She was in a neck brace, and she was just like super jolly while this guy who looks like Kenny Rogers was standing <laughs> behind her. <laughs> yeah. yeah she- it wasn't Dr. Doug Ross. No, it was not Dr. Doug Ross. Clunes. <laughs> and over the next couple of years, she's in like nine brief TV appearances. I mean, early on, just as a child actor, is kind of getting work, work wherever she can. So she plays young Allie McBeal in an episode of Allie McBeal. She's in an episode of CSI, very non-verbal role. She's in Malcolm in the Middle for an episode where she plays a little girl that's just biting Reese, the oldest son, the entire time. I remember that one. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my God, it's hilarious. He's like 
he's having nightmares of her laughing and biting him. It's it's pretty funny. Yeah. Family Guy, and then the, her first film was in 2001, small part in Tomcats as the girl in the park who screams at Jerry O'Connell as he comes running through in his robe. And uh, that leads us all the way up to her what we're calling her first feature film, which pretty big role in 2001's I Am Sam. As, as Sean Penn, 2001, I Am Sam. And Warren's going to talk about it. So this was my first time watching the movie. I knew plenty about it, mostly because of Kirk Lazarus from Tropic Thunder and his tirade on <laughs> the Academy <laughs> and who they take and who they don't take. What, ti- I, what tirade? I don't remember the quote. Um, you know, I, I don't want to. <laughs> don't spoil. I don't want. I don't want to do it a disservice. Yeah, and I don't want to spoil the movie for anybody who hasn't seen it. So, <laughs> but this movie, its its intentions are there. The whole thing is about a mentally handicapped Sean Penn with the IQ of a, a seven year old. And the movie starts and he's like, honestly, you think it's a commercial, the whole movie is a commercial for Starbucks and <laughs> the, the Beatles. <laughs> he's working at Starbucks and he, sh- he, you know, shows certain, certain tendencies of, you know, almost, how was it kind of like uh, OCD tendencies, you know, some Asperger's, you know, stuff like that. And you know, then then he starts interacting with people. If you have no idea what's going on, you're like, oh, you get you, you get hit over the head with it pretty quickly that he is mentally challenged. And then he runs to a hospital and uh, a lady is giving birth and <laughs> she he's handed the baby and then the lady straight up hops on a bus and leaves after giving birth. Classic. And so he's left with he's left with a baby. Everybody at that hospital should be fired. Um, <laughs> Wait, that's not how it works? That's not how that shit goes down? <laughs> he's awestruck by this little baby, and you know, rightfully so. He's got a, got a really big heart, and then the movie just, it, it's uh, a Beatles montage of, you know, he names her Lucy because of Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Then a Beatles song plays and she grows up and Elle Fanning plays a two-year-old Lucy in the montage. And then she's six. Dakota Fanning is playing Lucy as a six-year-old. And the whole thing is he is found to be unfit to be a father. You know, she, she ends up getting taken away and Michelle Pfeiffer is, you know, she's... A uh, lawyer who just, you know, ends up taking his case pro bono because she feels bad to to get custody of his daughter back. And the movie's two hours and fifteen Ooh. minutes long. It is way too long. Too long. Just just big th- big picture. Like she does, she's all right in it for her first real movie. Like I can see it. And you know, if if this is the first thing you see of her, you're like, you know what? I can see this this future, this promise, and everything. But after watching like all of her early movies, she plays the exact same character in every single movie. Mm-hmm. I'm not as impressed with this role as much. I mean, she she has some good sentimental moments and everything, but to say like I'm blown away by it, like I don't know. I, I I'm not. I had no talent as a seven year old, so I can't really speak to what it takes to do all these things with Sean Penn and Michelle Pfeiffer at that age. 
it actually has a larger audience gap than the movie we covered for audience gap. That's how much people are split on it. Mm-hmm. I'm glad it exists just for the joke in Tropic Thunder. That joke makes so much more sense. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. It's like I get that it's a joke, but it is so accurate. accurate. I wouldn't recommend it. There's going to be a much better portrayal of this somehow. So, like, go watch. Go watch Peanut Butter Falcon. Yeah, okay. that, movie, that, that movie is a hundred times better than 100%. this. It's way more cry. authentic and genuine. Yeah. Shout out to you, Zach, if you're listening. You're the man. Lauren, did you say her sister was in this as well? Yeah, she played two-year-old in the like the beginning montage. So what's crazy about that, aside from a short appearance in a TV show later, the two of them don't work again together until 20 years later. Damn. That's crazy. They're just hanging out together all day. They're like, we don't need yeah. to work together. All right. That's first feature film. I'm Sam. Over the next couple of years, part of the uh, childhood, kind of the child actor days, we've got her role as young Melanie in Sweet Home Alabama, No. 2. And then she played Katie in Hansel and Gretel, which I believe has just meteorically low ratings as well. If it, correct me if I'm wrong, Warren, but I feel like this movie was just a trash heap from a rating standpoint. Couldn't find it available anywhere, and I really wanted to. <laughs> It's got five uh, critic reviews on Rotten Tomatoes coming in at a zero. And uh, the audience gives it a 49, which, honestly, not that bad. But the zero really crushes it. Was that the one with Howie Mandel in it? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that is he plays. He plays the Sandman. <laughs> it only lost $9.8 million. That's not bad. I'll <laughs> <laughs> even out the box office numbers. A ten million dollar budget. You know how many Toyota Corollas you can buy with that? <laughs> <laughs> Used or new, James? Used or new? That's really the question. Pre-owned. Oh, there you go. Oh, Cert- certified pre-owned. Certified pre-owned. <laughs> well, early in her career, a lot of her categories happen, um, which makes for an interesting child acting career. And so uh, we run into 2003's Uptown Girls for her largest audience gap, and Case has it. I'm definitely not the target audience for this movie, but I uh, <laughs> gladly took on the role, because as, as the wheel decides, so does the rotating categories. But Uptown Girls is a, a 2003 comedy drama starring Brittany Murphy and Dakota Fanning. The movie was directed by Baz Yakin. Baz. You got some crazy good movies, you guys. The Rookie, Remember the Titans, Safe. Now You See Me, and Dirty Dancing 2, Havana Nights. Those are good. <laughs> Warren, I stole your little trick there with uh, leaving the best for last. That's what you do. <laughs> the movie also features Heather Locklear, Marley Shelton, Donald Faison, and Jesse Spencer. So the cast is pretty solid, and the director's obviously done some pretty good things before and after. basic gist of the movie is that Brittany Murphy is the daughter of a famous rock star who died when she was a little girl, and... Her dad's accountant basically had been embezzling money out of the trust fund that she was given to live, and she's broke. Long story short, Molly, who's played by Brittany Murphy, finds herself needing a job and a place to live. So she becomes a nanny for a rich record executive who she has some mutual friends with. That enters Ray into the picture, who is played by Dakota Fanning. Ray is an eight-year-old. By the way, so far, she's a... Seven-year-old playing a six-year-old in her movies, and now she's a nine-year-old playing an eight-year-old. So she <laughs> big stretch going down. She's not getting too far out of her out of the age gap there. So Ray's an eight-year-old hypochondriac, perfectionist, and difficult child. 
it's safe to say, is basically spoiled because both her parents are too busy to raise her, and so she's essentially raised by help. It, it just sets it up, right? Molly's this fun-loving character who's always happy and just, just goes and does whatever she wants and raises this uptight little girl who is spoiled and gets whatever they want. So obviously they're going to be at odds. You know, I really actually wanted to dislike this movie because, frankly, it's it's pretty cliched and it couldn't have been more predictable. However, I'm not going to lie, I like the performances by Murphy and Fanning. And in several follow-up interviews, especially after Brittany Murphy passed away, Dakota Fanning talked about how much she enjoyed making this movie with Brittany Murphy and how much fun the two of them had. And it really does show, even on the scenes where Fanning is supposed to be despising Murphy and her antics, you can tell that the two of them had good chemistry. James, you talked a little bit earlier about audience gap. For this podcast, this is the largest audience gap, getting 60 from the audience, 13 for the critics. If you're a fan of Brittany Murphy at this time, I doubt there's a lot of Dakota Fanning fans at this time, being that it's only her fourth movie and probably her biggest role. But if you're a fan of those two, I get why you like this movie. If you're a critic who has to sit for this movie for your job, I get why you don't like it. (laughs) Movie is what it is. Nothing special, nothing awful. I think where critics really dislike this movie, it's just a story that's been told a million times Mm -hmm. about a nanny and a difficult, spoiled child. And somewhere along the way, the two of them find common ground and they actually help each other grow. Mm-hmm. Accurate. It's been done a million times and it'll be done a million times more. And it, it's just, it's just what it is what it is. There's not a whole lot to, to talk about with this movie. As Bo Burnham said, we'll stop beating that dead horse when it stops spitting up money. There you go. I totally agree with everything you said. And I also agree in that I enjoyed it. I forgot how likable Brittany Murphy was. And it sucks that she was gone so young, but. She's very charismatic, and she plays well off of Dakota Fanning being like the straight-laced, goody-two-shoes little girl, and I enjoyed it. I was about to say, I haven't seen it, but I did watch all of the, like, the movie clips on YouTube, and what I noticed from her, um, Dakota, is she's pretty like savage in the movie. Yeah, yeah. She's very savage. Very mature for her age. A really nice girl and I am Sam to the little butthole in Uptown Girl. Like, okay, there you go, Dakota. The next performance we'll talk about before we hit lowest critic score is her entry, and I guess first like animated voice role as preschool Kim and Kim Possible such in time. So good for her. Joining alongside Gary Cole, because he had a recurring character in that series of movies and TV shows. But that takes us to 2003's lowest critic score, Dr. Seuss's Cat in the Hat, which Sam, as our guest Munson, our guests generally take my review. And so Sam, I just want to say thank you for watching this for me and reviewing it for the podcast because I, based on what everyone has said so far, I'm a better person for not having watched it. So we would love to hear your experience. Poor bastard. <laughs> I mean, look, so it's got a 9% on Rotten Tomatoes from 163 reviews, which means 14.67 assholes uh, <laughs> liked it. <laughs> you know, if you're a math guy. I haven't read the cat in the hat in I don't know 30 years but I I think I remember it pretty well it's like these two kids are staying at home it's a rainy day and then the cat shows up wants to cheer them up or whatever so this one's a little bit different I assume most <laughs> of you are well versed in the Dr. Seuss books even the racist ones so you gotta know what happens <laughs> for whatever reason the two kids are pretty smart but they're both very unlikable Dakota Fanning's character 
She was very, very unlikable. She kept trying to get her brother in trouble. She blamed him. His name is Conrad, which was fitting. She, <laughs> she, she kept trying to just, she kept trying to pass the buck on Conrad. Her name was Sally. Uh, just your one thing is don't get the house dirty. So then Mike Myers shows up. He's clearly having a blast. And with, with the kind of paycheck he likely accrued, I mean, who wouldn't dress up like an asshole cat, tell adult jokes that fall flat? shows up and uh he knows the kids aren't having fun he wants them to have fun that's his shtick so the, the cat shows up and everything starts to to go haywire so mike myers just couldn't help himself he literally went through his entire you know just rolodex of tricks he had to do a uk accent he stages a cooking show then of course things one and thing one and thing two show up and they look like the creepy who built whoville residents yeah, they just looked like those really creepy ones that were in the the Jim Carrey one, which I thought was just as bad. Uh, well, actually, no, this is way worse. Way worse. <laughs> Basically, things one and two show up, and and they they're real real rowdy. I watched this in five <laughs> parts, by the way, because I had to take a break, walk around the house, reevaluate what I was doing. Here's the thing: there are no escapist moments in this movie. It's it's like I was talking to one of Warren and I's buddies. Uh, we were watching Hereditary. It's like there's no comic relief. There's no like break. <laughs> you can't take a breath. Yeah, it's like the it's like the Passion of the Christ. It's like they're just beating them the whole time. You don't get a break. All right. <laughs> so I basically, like I said, I watched it in five bits. I walked around. I played with my kid. You know, you just have to cleanse the mental palate. And I was just gonna read really briefly. This guy, Anton Bedell of Movie Gazelle, who gave it a rotten review, good for him. He put, much of the film is padded out by the comic business of Mike Myers' cat in a deeply flawed role, falling somewhere between a stand-up dying on stage or an alcoholic clown harassing kids at a birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> to me, that absolutely sums it up. It's like you hire a clown, kind of like that John Candy movie. Was uh, Uncle Buck. Buck. Uncle yeah, it's Buck. like that. It's like it, it's like if they'd have let that clown in, and an hour into it, it's like, dude, you got to go. You're a creep. <laughs> I, I was sweating after the movie. I was exhausted. I'll never watch it again. And the fact that it got a nine on Rotten Tomatoes, I mean, that's crazy. I, I've watched like less than that movies that I enjoyed. Yeah, I'm a big fan of like the late '60s like biker pictures, like The Savage Seven, Wild in the Streets, uh, Angel and Chain, those kinds of movies with uh, Larry Bishop, and he made one that Tarantino, Tarantino produced. It was called Hell Ride. It was a horrible movie, and it was a ten. And I'm like, you can't even compare these two movies. This, this is like, <laughs> it, it, it was ridiculous. If you haven't seen The Cat in the Hat, absolutely watch it. Tremendous, <laughs> tremendous review. Tremendous yeah. review. Yeah. Oh it, my gosh. So you loved it. That's what I'm taking from this. You made it sound like it's an enjoyable flick. Well, like you said, it's Mean Streets one, Cat in the Hat two. <laughs> right. <laughs> Those are for very movies. different reasons. Again, this movie falls under a movie where if everyone says it sucks, I'll never watch it. And I'm glad that you're on the the right side of history here, where you also agree it sucks. I'll give credit to uh, this woman. Her name's Karina Montgomery. Had a hilarious review. It says, "You ever catch a family member sniffing your underwear?" Well, I haven't either, but I suspect it feels something like I felt leaving the theater after watching this. <laughs> <laughs> so you're telling me Dakota Fanning crushed it in that role is what it sounds like. Yeah, I didn't really mention her enough. Yeah, Dakota Fanning was, was very unlikable in the parts that she actually had something to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, that's three reviews down. We'll keep going more into the childhood years. In 2004, she's Lupita in Man on Fire. Probably one of the more famous roles she has. 
I actually just watched that. I hadn't seen it in a long time. I knew that it had like super violent Denzel scenes. And I think she's basically in it from like like the start of it till about the 50 minute mark or so. And I, I mean, I, I agree with Warren that, you know, there was a time period, like at least as her as a child actor, where she's she's very articulate, but it's almost hard to distinguish which role is better than the other because they're very similar. But I thought her and Denzel had a great rapport. And I mean, that may be speaking to how great of an actor he is because he can pretty much have a good rapport with anybody. But I thought mm-hmm. just the, the scenes with them in the car together and the way they were talking and the whole him training her swimming and stuff was fantastic. And then Obviously, the scene on the bridge at the end is very emotional, and I, th- I thought I thought you know her her part at least that was great. I agree. I think this is my actual favorite role of hers. She has great chemistry with Denzel. Him being this kind of broken down man and an alcoholic, and her being the straight laced know it all. And I felt like they played well off of each other. And then when it's the emotional scenes, which I think this movie leans uh the only part of it that doesn't hold up is is there's some emotional scenes that are just so heavy and dramatic. Mm-hmm. I think she does really well in being just like the most adorable little girl you could be. And it really makes you kind of invest where you're like, Oh, I know they're going to do something to this little girl and it's going <laughs> to suck. And I know it's going to happen, <laughs> but I love this movie. I can't believe so many critics gave it such a shitty score. I watch it now knowing full well, I'm going to tear up while I'm watching it. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that, James. I feel like she, for what they needed for this role, somebody you could be sympathetic with and, and play off Denzel's sort of hard-edged character. Even though it is similar casting to what she's played in the past, I thought she was great for it. And again, this is probably her most memorable role of of her career for me, too. Same year, she makes a, an appearance in the final season of Friends uh, in a couple scenes messing with Joey. And then 2005, she's in War of the Worlds as Rachel in a character that Warren said is very annoying. Let's see if it stands up. Yes, annoying. <laughs> yeah, she, I didn't know yeah, you will rewatch. It's, this, it's the same shit. Like, I, I, like Tom Tom Cruise is very like he's very good in this role. It was it was a good one for him. I remember watching this in theaters, and it's just her. It, it's honestly like a kid in the back of a car going on like a trip who has to go to the bathroom. It's just like, <laughs> why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we doing this? Why can we stop there? Can we stop there? Let's stop there. Like, Oh my God, there's a house with Tim Robbins in it. Let's go. Let's go in there. He's got a shotgun. Let's go hang out with him. <laughs> dad, 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 dad. Like, ugh. just so we can relate to Dakota Fanning a little bit better and feel like we all had the same childhood. She did. Uh, Steven Spielberg and Tom Cruise threw her a birthday party with uh, marble ice cream during the during the filming of this so <laughs> just like everybody else right i think i read somewhere that she got her first ipod was from tom cruise i was like what a life What a life! <laughs> <laughs> that same year she v- did the english dub for 1988's my neighbor totoro a pretty successful anime film it has a 94 percent on rotten tomatoes and her sister also did the dubbing mm-hmm. for that as well. I know there's some DVD extras that talk a little bit about that. Has anyone seen the the movie? No, I wish I would have. No, but I I'm pissed. <laughs> yeah. If you look at like the best animated films of all time, like this is always in the top five, I feel like. Also, 05, she voiced Lilo in Lilo and Stitch 2. Stitch has a glitch. Yeah, I'm sure there's no one more <laughs> fitting to play Lilo than yeah. blonde hair, blue eyed descendant of Edward Longshanks, Dakota <laughs> Fanning. <laughs> I, I had it in the background of Disney Plus, and I was like, "This feels like a wrong casting." Yeah, you know, I, think I don't know if a little white fact. girl should be this person. <laughs> the whitest of white can't be whiter. Bright ass white. <laughs> 05's busy for her. she's in Dreamer as Cal. 
a role where she was opposite Kurt Russell and got a bunch of critics award circle love for that. Joined the Girl Scouts in 05, you know, you things that young girls do cannot relate, but hey, good for her. And then 06 she was in Charlotte's Web as Fern, which won her, which nabbed her the coveted Nickelodeon Kids Choice Award for favorite young actress. There you go. It was it's between a- her and the pig. <laughs> it was a lovely little film. I'd never seen it and I watched it for the first time and it's, you know, it's exactly what you expect it to be. Which led her to being the youngest person ever admitted to the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences. She was the youngest person ever into the Academy. We're letting eight-year-olds vote. She can vote in, yeah. Yeah. Shrek's going to win every year now. She was voting at 12, I guess, for the Oscars. She voted for Crash. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Did you already talk about Hide and Seek? No, I just skipped over it. I was just going to say, you know, at this point... Going into 2009, so she's 15 years old. She's already worked with Sean Penn, Tom Cruise, Denzel Washington, Robert De Niro. Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell. I mean, holy cow, that's that's incredible. That's a really impressive thing. Yeah, 100%, man. She's holding her own with some great actors and actresses. And I, I forgot to say Reese Witherspoon from Sweet Home <laughs> Alabama. That's true. And Brittany Murphy, who's on the same level as all the people you name. And, and Mike yeah. Myers and Dr. Seuss's cat. <laughs> I mean, it, that, is, that is pretty crazy for somebody that's only 15 years old to have pulled off that list of people she's worked mm-hmm. with. Uh, but last couple movies we'll mention uh, to round out the childhood years before she gets to teenage is Hound Dog in 2007. She plays Llewellyn, a movie that was banned because of some controversial rape scenes that involved her character. Once I saw the details that you put in the show notes, I was like, no, nah, I'm good. I'll never watch that ever. I'm okay. <laughs> I think I made one mistake with watching uh, Requiem for a Dream. Yeah, I made that mistake once. I think I'm good with rape scenes for the rest of my life. <laughs> there you go. I did notice she's uh, she has a lot of soundtrack credits for that movie, so it sounds like she did a lot of singing in her role, but I don't think anybody's really seen it because of some of the uh, controversial sides of the movie, unfortunately. Um, so who knows? Maybe she's a pretty good singer. We just don't know. Hey, and this is not the last movie that she does that has some pretty controversial content in it. Accurate. Yeah, we'll talk about a couple more coming up. In the 2008, she was in The Secret Life of Bees as a character named Lily, which we've seen a couple times from her. And she has a southern accent in that one, acts alongside Paul Bettany, Queen Latifah, Jennifer Hudson, Alicia Keys. Definitely an Oscar Beatty type of movie that I don't think did as well as they would have hoped it would have done. But, you know, she was fine. She was okay as the the young girl who gets kind of taken under the wing of Queen Latifah's beekeeper character. And that gets us to 2009's highest critic score, which is Coraline, and James has it. It kind of sucks that when I get highest critic score, it's a kid movie. I'm not going to lie, I'm a little upset. Like I could have had highest critic score, Russell Crowe, and just fucking burned through a thousand movies and felt great. So the quick synopsis is... While exploring her new home, a girl named Coraline, who's played by Dakota Fanning, discovers a secret door in the house, which uh, beyond that lies an alternative world that closely mirrors her own and in some ways a little bit better. And while she's happy in discovering that, it's until she realized the alternate version of her mom, who's played by Terry Hatcher, they want to keep her there forever. And that is just the general synopsis. What I'll say about this movie is the animation is unbelievable. It's really fantastic. They do stop motion. It was 3D when it came out, and it still holds up. It's a really beautiful movie to watch. It has 
so many devout fans. People love this movie. I think it's like a 90 plus on Rotten Tomatoes. So this movie, everyone loves it. They consider it super high up. But for me, it, it, I don't really enjoy it. It was like, it's too dark for young kids. And outside of the animation, like, I don't think, I think the laughs are few and far between. I think it's more of like a creepy movie that has some laughs in it. And I think when it's a younger target audience and they have some adult jokes, I enjoy those movies. But this was like the tweener age and there's no adult jokes. And it was just like, oh, okay, I get like, it's cool animation, but like the story's kind of boring to me, but everyone loves this. So I know I'm in the minority with my feelings here, but we had a couple other Munsons here. We had uh, Keith David was the cat and uh, Keith David as an animated cat is a hilarious thing to watch because his voice <laughs> is terrifying and it is just this tiny little cat. And to hear him just being as creepy as possible added to the spookiness of it. That's what your cat was into, right, James? They heard Keith. Hell yeah. While I was watching it, my cat, uh, Hamilton, watched the entire movie. And he didn't, he didn't move. He just sat. I sent pictures to the group chat. He just sat down, watched it. I'd pick him <laughs> up and be like, dude, what is going on? And he would push his way out of my hands. Be like, no, 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 no. I'm watching this. Like, I'm going to attack this screen if this cat fucks up. I think him and Keith David have beef now. So I got I to gotta watch out for that as time progresses. <laughs> Future Keith David viewings. Exactly. Like he, he's yeah. going to be pissed. I, I don't know what. It, I think he just rubbed him the wrong way as the, the rascally cat. But I don't know. I just didn't enjoy this movie that much. The animation, again, beautiful. But the story was kind of boring and I didn't know who the target audience was. One thing I will say is it's probably the most accurate depiction of parents who are overworked that I've seen probably in a kid's movie outside of Inside Out. Where you're watching, you're like, damn, these parents are just, they're at their wits end. And the moment they get pushed over, they're going to scream at this girl. And they do. And I was like, all right, well, that's pretty accurate. Because they don't normally put that in kids' movies. But the rest of the movie, I was just like, ah, I guess it's okay. But it was beautiful the whole time. And that animation holds up. So I'll give them credit for that. There's some dark, creepy shit. And it is dark and creepy. But it's definitely tailored to, like, nine-year-olds so it's like mature nine-year-olds i'm like ah uh, all right so it's it's to dakota fanning in all her movies as a young yes. kid yes 100 percent, 100 percent. and the casting makes sense there you go all right let's push into the teenage years 09 to 2013 so she's a kind of a new new age of dakota fanning i will see how, how it compares first off she's in push as cassie a crossover with jaiman hansu in a movie where she's got some pretty brutal line reads definitely not my favorite role the movie had potential and there's some cool graphics and everything and it's kind of crazy that this was in between fantastic four and then him entering chris evans entering captain america captain america and so he yep. rigby wouldn't know anything about that <laughs> he's like what are you wait what is captain america is that, like a, <laughs> is that like a world war ii propaganda film what are we talking about <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a good point. If you like Chris Evans and Dakota Fanning, it's not a terrible watch at the end of the day. They're the co-leads of the movie. So scope it. Whether or not you want to scope 2009's The Twilight Saga, New Moon, that's up to you. But she started her role as Jane in three Twilight movies, back to back to back, which, as Case talked about, sounds like landed her some probably some cash in the first place, but yeah. also some box office love there. So I'm going to be honest, when I first watched the Twilight movies and someone kind of explained the plot to me, 
I thought there was hope for these movies when I was like, so why does everyone look like a, a fucking supermodel? Like, oh, well, they look like supermodels, so vampires can attract humans. I was like, all right, that's, that, you know what? That's a clever way to play off why everyone is so hot. I respect it. And in the moment the movies start, you're just like, holy shit, this movie sucks. <laughs> like, from start to finish, it's terrible, dude. It's At no point does it get above, like, a Hallmark movie quality. And it all of them are like that. But, again, when you're just printing cash, you're not going to stop making these movies. Yeah, no shit. Th- this was like Dawson's Creek meets Underworld. <laughs> yeah, dude. It was well put. Absolutely. It made me 100%. hate Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart, and they're good actors and actresses now, and I still just, like... I'm so hesitant. I was like, no, no, I remember when you were 17 and you made the shittiest franchise in history. I remember that. Yeah, it's taken a while to get out of those shadows. Michael Sheen definitely uh, contributed some over-the-top lines in there, though. Yeah. That's true. He, he did that really creepy laugh at that one part where they're, like, all meeting up. And I, I don't know. Someone sent me, a like, a remix uh, YouTube video of it, and it made me laugh my ass off. I completely did not understand the context, but I was like, look at this asshole just like laughing at his paycheck he's gonna get paid for this yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah and she plays his like i don't know right hand woman she's kind of got like mind powers and shit she can fuck people up i i didn't watch it but i watched enough clips to see that she was uh she was anti robert pattinson and kristen stewart in the movie so does that make it a good thing i don't know yeah who's to say uh, who's to say 2010 she's in the runaways as sheree alongside kristen stewart so that's apparently worked with her in uh in the twilight world and they said let's do this biopic about the runaways the runaways i mean i i like movies about uh you know uh, artists uh, artists and musicians and stuff kristen stewart eh, she I, it, it it was it was pretty flat it, like the movie literally opens with uh with her uh dakota fanning having like her first period so it yeah, was definitely yeah. <laughs> she's was, 15 at the time yeah right so it was definitely it was definitely interesting like it was it was literally a transition from like a child actor into like her teenage years and she's like obsessed with uh, david bowie and and paints her face to look like he did uh, i can't remember the name of the album after he did ziggy stardust but michael shannon really kind of stole the show on that one. Oh, dude he's um, so good in that movie yeah he is but uh i didn't realize that it was really centered more on her than i mean it, it is about joan jett but it, it really kind of was emotionally more about her mm-hmm. it, it wasn't it wasn't terrible it was it was, no. it was, it was all right it's decent. It's on Netflix if people want to check it out. Sam, to your point, the reason that it's centered on Dakota Fanning's character is because it's based on the book that Cherie Curry wrote. Makes sense. Right, right, right. I'd love to see a sequel that follows Joan Jett because Joan Jett made a incredible ascension in, in rock and roll history after leaving that group. Right. Mm-hmm. Kind of left us high and dry, right? And and Joan Jett was a producer in that movie. I thought it was interesting too why it was so much focused on Dakota Fanning, who, by the way, is sixteen or fifteen filming this, playing mm-hmm. a sixteen-year-old in the movie. That's crazy again. Yeah, I appreciate them casting appropriate age-wise. The funniest review I read was that Joan Jett, her big issue with the movie is that Kristen Stewart wore leather pants the entire time because she's like, I never wore leather pants. I <laughs> like, I wore jeans. <laughs> and so I spent the entire movie just being like, what's Kristen Stewart wearing? Oh, she's wearing... But like, you produced the movie. Come on. Yeah. yeah. That's, be- a, that's such a rock, t- rock star thing to say. Like, of all the things to critique, it's like, I would never dress like that. It's disgusting. <laughs> 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 never wore leather pants. Come on, man. <laughs> Also 2010, the next Twilight movie, Eclipse, and then she graduated high school. So good for her. She was homecoming queen twice, as James had mentioned, and she started at NYU 
and uh, she studied women's studies in 2011. As she's starting college, she's doing Twilight films, seems to be how she's keeping herself busy. And then in 2012, she did a movie called Now Is Good. She played a character named Tessa, rocking the British accent, playing a dying girl character. It's available on YouTube for the listening audience if you want to scope it out. There was that other movie, uh, was it like My Sister's Sister? Her and Elle were originally supposed to play like young version of it, and she was going to be the like the sick sister, and she was asked to shave her head. Oh yeah, and she didn't do it. So not a team player, not a team player. Yeah, found out she was going to go bald, and she backed the fuck out. So very selfish. My God, knock her two points. (laughs) (laughs) And then 2012, she's also in the Motel Life as Annie, another co-starring lead role alongside Stephen Dorff and Emile Hirsch, um, which has decent little ratings out there. It's a smaller indie film. Stephen Dorff's pretty good in that, so it's, I think it's worth checking out just to see Stephen Dorff do his thing alongside Emile Hirsch. And then finally, to round out the teenage years, we've got Very Good Girls, where she plays Lily alongside Elizabeth Olsen. This is the one Craig mentioned had uh, didn't make anything from a money standpoint, which is wild because... I mean, you look at the cast, it was Ellen Barkin, Richard Dreyfuss, Demi Moore, Elizabeth Olsen, Clark Gregg, Peter Skarsgård, and Fanning. I mean, that's a pretty star-studded lineup. That's studs. They had to pay everybody, and the movie <laughs> sucked. <laughs> yeah, that budget yeah. had to have been at least $10 million, but it, it was never reported. Somewhere. The actors were smart and collected up front. Yeah. Yeah. Little picture with her and Lizzie Olsen are the co-leads. It's nothing remarkable by any stretch, but available on YouTube. And continuing to add giant co-stars to her list of people she's worked with. She's worked with Skarsgård a few times, which we will talk about here in a second with the largest critic app, uh, Night Moves. Um, Rigby's got that, and Skarsgård is in that one as well. That's a hell of a transition, by the way. Well played. Thank you. Nice job. I didn't plan that, but why do we pay him the big bucks? So Night Moves is a 2013. I guess you can call it a thriller film it's it's more of just it's really depressing and dark it's about these environmental terrorists it's like an oxymoron isn't it (laughs) (laughs) i cut down a tree in the backyard does that make me an an environmental terrorist well these these folks do a hell of a lot worse than that warren you're just an asshole it's different Uh, okay (laughs) got it jesse eisenberg and dakota fanning uh play these environmental terrorists who get hooked up with another environmental terrorist an ex-marine as as kyle mentioned played by Peter Sarsgaard, um, who's excellent in the movie, as are Dakota Fanning and Jesse Eisenberg. They plan to blow up a dam that they think is causing harm to the environment, and they get 1,500 pounds of fertilizer um, to blow up a dam by putting it on a boat late at night. Turns out that they think they're doing something good for the cause of the environment, but during the explosion, someone is killed who drowned in the nearby uh, river that they didn't know was there. And the rest of the movie after that, the first, I would say the first like 50 minutes is like the buildup to their, to the explosion. And then the rest of the movie is like the paranoia about them feeling the guilt of killing somebody, whether or not what they did was the right thing. And ultimately that comes to a crescendo at the end when Dakota Fanning's character meets her unfortunate demise, because she is the one who, I think it's probably the she had the best performance in the movie because she is really the one who feels the most guilty about what happened. And Jesse Eisenberg sees that and tries to get her to stop, basically tries to get tries to prevent her from going to the police and and detailing what the three did. It's really depressing. I mean, there is not one moment of like comedy this whole movie. It's like (laughs) it kind of reminded me of First Reformed, even though this was made first. 
First Reformed is a movie Ethan from Hawk, a few years yeah. ago with Ethan Hawke where he has this epiphany about the environment and it becomes like an environmental terrorist himself and and wants to wreak havoc on the people that he thinks are causing causing harm to the environment. This kind of reminded me of that, but instead of one person, it's three people and they're all just really depressing characters. I mean, Peter Sarsgaard's like this drunk ex-Marine who, you know, has obviously gone through PTSD, gone through depression, gone through everything. And he's just trying to find a way to live his life day to day, basically. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg, you know, he is really solemn the whole movie. I mean, he doesn't crack a smile. It's really depressing. Like you have to be in a certain mood to enjoy this movie and not even enjoy. It. You have to be in a certain mood to watch it and just like know what's going on. Cause it's really dark and depressing. Wow. I thought it was really well acted. It's a little slow. The build up to the explosion goes a little slow, but after that I thought it, it flowed a little bit better, but Dakota Fanning does. She's a far and away from where she was as Lupita and man on fire. She's no longer the True. cute, innocent little schoolgirl in this. I mean, she is, even though she does kind of have a change of conscience, she, she is a environmental wacko terrorist who wants to inflict revenge on, on the people that they, she feels are doing wrong to, by the, to the world. So I'm glad I was assigned this movie and, and I don't know if I'd recommend it because like I said, it takes a special sort of sense to, to watch it, but I enjoyed it. And I think it's like 86 on Rotten Tomatoes. I would probably give it around I don't know, maybe like an 80. So it, it could have been, could have been a lot worse, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's an interesting movie for sure. <laughs> no, someone, what are you laughing at? Someone was laughing. Uh, it was an 86. And it was like, after you, after you <laughs> yeah, talked I about it, like I was like, 70. I thought you were going to yeah give it about a 60. <laughs> You're like an 80. Well, it could have been a lot meter. Worse. What was the gap? What was the difference between the audience and the critic? 86 and 41. Oh, so yeah. it's a big one. I think I gave it like a seven. I think I was in the 65 to 70 range when I watched it a couple of years ago. I didn't even realize it was Dakota Fanning, to be completely honest, when I watched it. Do you think it was L? No. <laughs> no, no, that one is hard to mistake there. But I don't know. I just didn't even really recognize her. Maybe I just hadn't watched anything from her in a long time up to that point. If you, were, if you want to talk about a, an ounce of range for her, I would say this this shows that. I mean, like I said, she's a lot older from when she was on Man on Fire, but she's grown up in this role that's for sure it's it's a totally different side of her love it i thought it was shot really well Mm -hmm. it was i was reading the director's wikipedia page like she's made like seven movies and like six of them she shot in oregon oh like a stephen king main thing i mean basically just like all of her movies take place there every shot is like this dark foggy i mean there is not like one ounce of like um enthusiasm in this whole movie like every scene is like yeah. it's either dark at night or it's like rainy foggy just really depressing yeah. this sounds like the same person who filmed twilight it's in, <laughs> it's in oregon and it's dark and you can't oh, see anything she did first cow which came out last year it was pretty solid little flick too kelly reichardt was her name Oh, and she did Meek's Cutoff, which is another decent movie from 2010. Did, uh, at any point in the film, did they, have, did they hum a song from 1962? I wish. No? I, I wish. That's, that. Anybody get that reference? Hey, nah. Besides Bailo me. Bailo en la noche. <laughs> no, they got it. I know you're a big fan of that song, Rigby, so I was like, oh. I love it. You, you and I sang Night Moves and Karaoke together in Indiana. That's right. Oh. That's right. Sada hum a song from 1962. I like the song more in uh, Eastbound and Down. <laughs> what is it in Eastbound and Down? It's his Latino lover. Um, she's in a little band down in Mexico when he's down there and she sings Night Moves in Spanish. 
Oh my god, I need that clip. I'm gonna have to get that from you later. That's funny. There's a really great movie from the 70s with Gene Hackman called Night Moves. I would I would recommend that more. But this one was this one was good. I'll I'll take it for now. Thanks, Rex. All right, let's wrap it up. The next couple years, we'll call the adult years. So right after Night Moves, we get into uh, you know Dakota in her 20s. We start with her role as Ronnie in Every Secret Thing in 2014. She plays a troubled teen in that one. Lots of uh, got like kind of gothic-looking eye makeup. Definitely very different than the young, innocent, nice Dakota Fanning, as Rigby was kind of alluding to in terms of like more her more recent roles. Definitely taken on some different types of characters. And this one, her and her friend um, accidentally killed a, a baby when they were like 10. And she's kind of like trying to outrun her past the the rest of the movie. Very different. And then in 2014, she is the lead character Effie Gray in Effie Gray, a crossover with Emma Thompson, one that we covered pretty briefly in that episode. It's not one of Emma or Dakota's best movies, but a period piece. And then a couple of years later, she's in Brimstone as Liz. My wife and I were, were like really, really big on finding indie thrillers indie horror that's just kind of like our thing so i stumbled across this across this movie i don't know that i would recommend it Mm -hmm. it was probably a little it dragged at times it was certainly ambitious it was anachronistic uh in in, almost in in like a a pulp fiction that to me was the best performance i've seen from her far and away and she and she to my knowledge doesn't have any speaking lines except for in one part no shit that's high praise you know, and she's protecting her daughter the whole movie, and and uh, Guy Pierce is essentially like the devil. He just keeps coming after her, and and it's hmm. it, it's 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 dark, but it was really entertaining. I mean, it's yeah. it more or less reflects its uh, Rotten Tomatoes score, but I thought it was just a little bit better than that. That's a really good review, man. It's on Tubi for our listening audience. If if Sam has convinced you, I had to break it up and uh, I watched it's the long. first two parts. Yeah, I watched the first two parts in one sitting. Two and a half hours. And then after that, I watched part three. And then I d- went and did some <laughs> stuff. And I watched part four after that because it's really dark. There's some tough scenes to watch in that movie. Mm. Yeah. All right. So check out Brimstone. Sounds pretty cool. But speaking of, I mean, like, she's been taking on some really unique roles here in this time frame. And it's, it's she continues with two. 2017's Please Stand By. She plays an autistic woman named Wendy, and it never feels hokey. It doesn't feel forced. Her character is entering a contest to win $100,000 for the best Star Trek script, and she's got this meticulous plan to send it out by a certain day, so it gets to LA. She lives in like the San Francisco area, but her world gets thrown awry, and then she basically bails on her like assisted living home to try to go to LA. And so the, the movie follows her story, trying to road trip as someone who's never really been outside of like her little bubble. So a little bit like peanut butter Falcon. In that yeah, yeah. Yeah. Similar, similar. And she's really good, man. And it doesn't, f- cause those kind of movies, when you're talking about someone with autism, I am Sam being kind of like a, yeah. a decent Prime example. example. I, it never got to that. It, it was, she's more socially awkward. I'd say, more on the Asperger side, but uh, like Elon, the only person to ever host, <laughs> like like Wario, exactly. But yeah, definitely another good one to check out from recent. She's been doing some good stuff. I fully agree with you. I went into watching this movie, seeing the synopsis, and I was like, I can't wait to crush her for this uh-huh. role. I was, I have a family member who's very low functioning, 
autism and I've always kind of resented how autism's portrayed in movies. And I feel like it's, you know, they put it as like some superpower or some shit. I was like, that's just not realistic. And then when I was watching this movie, that's not the problem I had with this movie. I thought she did a great job in it. She's not the issue with the movie. I thought the issue with the movie is maybe it's a little predictable and where it's going. Mm-hmm. But other than that, better than expected. And so when you come in, I guess, going back to Warren's point on expectations, I came into this being like, oh my God, this is going to be so insulting. I can't wait to crush this movie. And I watched it. I was like, no, you know what? It was all right. It was fine. It was just a fine movie. Yeah. And, I th- and she's not what's wrong with it, by all means. She acts against alongside another heavyweight, Tony Collette. Yep. And there too, her and Alice Eve. So pretty good supporting cast as well. 2018, she's in Ocean's 8. And I, what I think is a pretty small cameo is Penelope. It's a tiny role. Yeah. Dude, I saw this movie in theaters. I don't remember her at all. I was like, is she part of the 8? And I looked him no. up. I was like, no, she is not. So I have no idea who she is in this movie. Just a small role from what I understand. He's Penelope. <laughs> oh, yeah, obviously. Penelope. Penelope. Duh. Fucking get your Everyone shit together, knows James. That. Penelope. She's in one of Rigby's favorite recent movies, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. She plays Squeaky Fromm, which, again, I don't remember that character, so someone's going to have to tell me. Squeaky Fromm was, like, one of the, like, she was one of the biggest Manson family members. She actually attempted to assassinate Gerald Ford, and she just recently got paroled, I think, in 2018 or 2017. So, I mean, in that movie, she was only in it for the one scene, which, you know, she obviously you have the great uh, Bruce Dern and, and Brad Pitt are both right there in that scene. But she did a good job because she didn't really have to do much. If you actually know a thing or two about Squeaky Fromm, she was just a complete nutcase, which is how she came <laughs> off in the, in yeah. the few you know yeah, little yeah. lines that she had. That's really all she had to do. Okay. She was at the ranch, essentially. She was the one who, uh, there was the back and forth between her and Brad Pitt about whether or not she was going to let him in the house or not. Got it. She thought she could kill two-time national champion Gerald Ford. I mean, we're talking about, uh, <laughs> this isn't just a politician. This is a like premier athlete we're talking Stud. about here. <laughs> Former Detroit Lion and Green Bay Packer Gerald Ford. She thought she had a chance with that. The gun misfired, so. <laughs> That's what that'll happen. She's got a good enough name for it. And then finally, the last movie we'll mention is Sweetness in the Belly. She plays Lily. Again, we've seen that a few times as a character name. She plays an, an, an Ethiopian Muslim who's seeking refuge, and she speaks full Arabic in the movie. And it's a movie about, it's like a combo of like politics in the region. It's a true story about some of the issues in Ethiopia, and also like a lot about like female circumcision and things like that. So a little bit heavy at times, but again, I was pretty impressed with her ability to take on a completely unique type of character, Spe- learning and speaking Arabic. I was kind of, you know, kind of impressed from that standpoint. And that's very recent, 2019. And then in terms of recurring TV characters, she's in a number of them over the years, but the main ones we'll talk about. She was in Taken as Ali Keys in 02, so definitely the the childhood years. More recently, a show that I've seen, I've never seen, but I know people rave about it, uh, is The Alienist, Angel mm-hmm. of Darkness. She plays Sarah Howard from 2018 to 2020. That's a good show. Going back to Taken, though, Kyle, that was a Spielberg TV show. And I'm pretty sure, if I remember right, she was the narrator throughout the whole miniseries. Okay. As a child. Pretty substantial role early with, again, with Spielberg. But yeah, the alienist, she she was good in there and it's a it's a strong show. I lived in New York for almost eight years and of all the billboards and, and signs and <laughs> advertisements and stuff that I saw, this this one probably had the most 
like I remember seeing it on subways, on buses. I mean, the advertising budget for this show must have been huge because I feel like it was just everywhere. See Daniel Brühl's face everywhere. Yeah, Daniel Brühl and and her. She was on there too. It was TNT's like first. It was their big and first shot at like a really like mainstream series. And then finally, Jen Locke. She played Miranda Worth, the most recent recurring character, and that's an animated series uh, with Michael B. Jordan. That takes us to her shorts. So this will be the last little chunk we hit. She's been in six shorts over her career. I'll talk about three, or I guess four of them. First, she was in the Rufus Wainwright music video for Across the Universe, a remake of a Beatles song. And she plays the little girl holding a red balloon. There's no speaking parts, but if you've ever seen it, you would recognize her all over the screen. She looks like it's, like it's a fucking It commercial. And then in 2012, she's in a short with Alice and Janie called Celia. And the storyline is um, Dakota wants to get an abortion. Uh, Alice and Janie is the doctor, but Alice and Janie is a family friend. And it's kind of interesting to watch, again, another really good actor going toe-to-toe with her. Janie definitely steals the scene, mm-hmm. but Dakota holds her own. And then the last one, and this one I, I, I will say I'm, I'm probably the most excited about because this is an area I think she could be really good in. Um, there was a short in 2017 called Zygote, and it's this like weird thriller. It's from the guy who did Elysium and Chappie in District 9. Neil Blomkamp. Yep. It's this like weird thriller where there's this like monster that's got like body parts chasing after him, like hands, arms, legs, all kinds of weird shit. And she is pretty convincing in like a desperation role. I think she would be pretty damn good in more horrors and thrillers, man. Like less character driven stuff. Absolutely. Um, she does a, a, I've seen a ton of movies like this where like someone's trying to run from a monster or a bad guy or whatever. And she does a pretty good job, like with her emotions and, you know, kind of like the, a lot of the physical acting that are required. And so I think she'd be pretty good in those types of films. I just don't know if she has any interest in that, but who knows? Where did you see it? Uh, it's on YouTube. Okay. Going off that point, did it surprise anybody else after learning that both her parents were professional athletes, that she hasn't done a lot of physically demanding roles? I mean, she hasn't had time to like do anything. I can't imagine at like, a young age, her parents were like, you're going to go from studying, then you're going to go straight to the studio, and you're not going to talk to anybody, and you're going to mm-hmm. do this, and you're not going to have yeah. time to play any sports. You know, it's I mean, just... she cheerleaded. That's about it. She was acting at such a young age. She's She's acting at the age where you are questioning her parents' like thought process, like yeah. the Culkin age, where it's like this is a six-year-old you're running out here for six months. Yeah. Like you yeah. need to be learning long division. Like what yeah. are you doing? You know? it's, <laughs> like, it's yeah, it's it's borderline Marinovich. At least she was in high school by ninth grade. At least at least she got the high school experience. I like how you said borderline Marinovich because that's a very niche group that you just identified. <laughs> I know exactly what you're referencing. And then the final one I'll mention, uh, she uh, wrote and directed a short called Hello Apartment. So maybe we'll see her do some directing and some other things like that in the future. Who knows? TBD. Rigby, got any top performances for us? I was able to track down a list from Newsday. I think it came out right when The Alienist was released because it's from 2018. So it doesn't include some of her later work from the last couple of years. It's five movies. And I will say one of them we didn't cover. So Newsday is also... Uh, normal paper for where I come up from on Long Island, so I am excited. It's Newsweek. I'm sorry, James. Oh, it's boo, Newsweek. Newsweek, oh, <laughs> not Newsday. Sorry about that. 
five movies pre-2018. I will vouch for Newsday. I used to read it sometimes in New York. It's a great newspaper. Oh, there you go. But this is from Newsweek, so uh, who wants to kick it off? Is Hide and Seek the one we didn't talk about? No. All right. Man on Fire? No, Man on Fire is not on here, surprisingly. The Runaways? Yes, Runaways is on here. Nice job. Man on Fire is her best role, so this list sucks. <laughs> and Newsday rocks and Newsweek sucks. Yellowbird. Nope. Yeah, I didn't mention that one. I took it off. Night Moves? Uh, nope. American Pastoral? Yes. Did we talk? We yeah. didn't talk about that, did we? No, we did I not. took it off. Yeah. Yep. That's uh, number two. Nice job, Craig. 2016, yep. That's directed by Ewan McGregor, by the way, that movie. That's right. He is the lead in that, too. Um, War of the Worlds? Nope. I'd have to say Brimstone, but because it wasn't critically popular, it's probably not. It's not on there, but I'll take your vouch for the movie <laughs> as a... Uh, it got screwed by not being on there. Give me Charlotte's Web. Charlotte's Web. Nice job, Kyle. Nice. So not the cat in the hat. <laughs> not the cat in the hat. So we got three of five. <laughs> I am Sam. Nope. No? Damn. I'm not Sam. Sorry. Secret Life of Bees. Nope. Coraline. Nope. Oh, interesting. Are they numbered? They're not numbered. Please stand by. Nope. Ooh. Uptown Girls. Nope. This list sucks, man. I agree, but it's the best one I could find. So <laughs> let's just let's just roll with it. Hound Dog, baby. Yes, nice wow. job, Kyle. All right, her most controversial role. Interesting. Push. Nope. We're missing one, right? So we're missing one more. Yeah. I think we've set them all. Uh, Malcolm in the Middle. <laughs> <laughs> nope. I like it. Just give me one last guess, and I will go with my neighbor Totoro. Nope. Oh fuck. It is very good. Girls. Really. With Lizzie yeah. Olsen, the one that made no money. Yep. I mean, she's fine in it. Richard Dreyfuss, Barkin, Clark Gregg. Yeah, I mean, it's a big cast. I didn't hate it, but I get it. So Man on Fire wasn't on there, huh? Nope. They obviously went like post-Man on Fire, because Charlotte's yeah. Web was 2006, and I feel like they, they only stuck to movies where she's a little older, it sounds like. so. Did they not realize that Denzel Washington's art is death? And he's about to paint his masterpiece. <laughs> and he's about to paint his masterpiece. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe people like very good girls more than we thought. The concept is her and Lizzie Olsen fall for the same guy and they don't tell each other. That's And maybe from a romance side, that's what people like. That movie made $11,000 in the box office. Nobody liked that movie. <laughs> that's what I thought, but this person did. Whoever had Newsweek made the list. They loved it. So The crazy part is, and this I'll get into it when we get into her score, is that so 2006 was her first movie on this list. She would have been, how old is she now? 27? Yeah. Jesus. So she would have been, I mean, 11 at the time. That's crazy. She was born 94. And then, yep. and that was, I mean, that was, she'd already done so much by then. So it just shows how much she's really been in, in her 27 years. It's wild. Mm-hmm. All right. Months and meter time. The way this works, we rank every actor on a scale of zero to a hundred. Each month has their own take, but generally speaking, we rate on longevity, project choice, pop culture impact, acting range, awards footprint, if they have other talents, personal life, comedic chops, box office success or lack thereof, and anything else that really matters to us. Rigby, get us started. To be honest, I was not really looking forward to covering her out of all the five that we had the choice of, but it actually turned out okay. I mean, I got to rewatch a little bit of Man on Fire, hadn't seen that in years, got to watch Night Moves, which I actually enjoyed. I think the thing about her is she's just so young that like she, no matter, I mean, she's been, even though she's been in so much, like she's still, I mean, she has a long career ahead of her, which is saying something, but I think her lack of 
awards footprint or pop culture. I mean, that's just stuff that's probably just going to come with more heavier roles. And Kyle, you mentioned that she should take more horror and thriller films. I completely agree. I think she would do. And the sort of scary, mysterious role in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, maybe that's like a harbinger of things to come. But we're, we're, I think we're waiting for her best. But that doesn't take away from the fact that she got started so early on and has been in the game for so long. So with longevity, that's where she gets the most points with me. So for what she lacks in footprint and and pop culture impact, she makes it up with longevity. So uh, all that being said, I'm going to give her a 69. All right. James? I think actually where she's her strongest would be pop culture impact. I, I think agree. when you, when you mention Dakota Fanning to someone, they're like, oh, yeah, of course, I know who that is. And they're referencing like two or three movies that came out, you know, 15 years ago. But that's how I thought when we originally ended on her. And then upon going kind of through her filmography, I realized that there's actually not that much. Um, she is really young. She started really young. And I think she's the only child actor who we've covered outside of Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And he's like transitioned into a, you know, a, a full-blown adult actor, a star. And she's kind of getting towards there, but she's not quite there yet. I love Man on Fire. I think it's timeless. I think you know it is corny in certain points and extreme in certain points, but enjoyable throughout the entire process. And I think she is great in that role. I think as a young age, they realized that that's her sweet spot to be kind of the smart, know-it-all little kid and uh, still adorable and innocent. And I think she was fantastic in all of those roles where she, she did have to play the same character. So that's kind of where I knock her is... There's not a lot of range, um, and there's not a lot of uh, critical success, uh, but she is up there with stars. And mm-hmm. so I'm excited to see where her career goes, but it's, it's really not quite there yet for me. So I'm going to give her a 52. Case. You know, after learning about her career, my, my score on her started going up. I thought we were going to record for about 25 minutes tonight when, <laughs> when you first told us that we were watching Dakota Fanning films crazy part is you guys she was born in 94 so she's 27 years old and she has almost 70 uh movie and tv titles to her name if she had started acting when she was born she would be doing three projects a year every every year that's that's insane to me i like the arc of films that she's taken since being a bona fide child star you know a lot of child stars you know they're they're huge as little kids and then they get into popcorn and big budget movies and you know, movies without a with not a lot of substance, and then that's kind of where they end. Whereas she's done some really tough projects and gritty movies, even you know, as a teen playing a teen, which I, I think is pretty impressive. I think she was probably pretty typecasted when she was a kid, like you talked about, James, and and I think that maybe hurt her range development early on. But I think she's certainly dealing with that now, and and similar to to you know Joseph Gordon Levitt, like you talked about. Uh, the downside for me is I'm just not familiar with a lot of her work and, and indie projects. I've never seen a Twilight movie. I've seen a Twilight Zone, but I've never seen a Twilight movie. <laughs> and it's, she's the the work that she does that's more popular is just out of the stuff that I, I seek out. Good actress, really interesting to learn about, and I'm certainly intrigued about her career moving forward. And Kyle, to your point, I think not only would she be a great kind of hero in a in, in thrillers i think she could be a great villain in, in thrillers as well i'll be interested to watch how her career continues to unfold and with that being said i'm going to give her a 71 sam our guest months i think all three of you guys that went 
before me pretty much nailed it. It actually kind of reminds me. I I look at a uh, I look at different kinds of interviews on YouTube, and one of them that pops up a lot, or ones that pop up a lot, are GQ. It's like GQ, and it, it, it'll be like Pedro Pascal breaks down his most iconic roles, or Oscar Isaac, and it's like these guys have only been around for like ten years. Like how how could you make an entire? You know what I mean. <laughs> So I feel like I feel like it's a similar deal with her, and uh, I, I agree uh, uh, with the, what was said earlier about like when you mention her, you generally think of two or three or four movies that were when she was younger. But um, I, I think just the only thing where she kind of just fell into the I'll I'll take a paycheck in the meantime uh, while I'm figuring out what to do next is the Twilight movies. Other than that, she seems to have picked some pretty obscure projects. I'm really not familiar with admittedly. I'm not familiar with the majority of them, but uh, at least it at least tells me that she has a, uh, a style of her own or a taste of her own. She's not probably <laughs> doing exactly what her agent is uh, recommending her to do. And I, I think definitely the, the best is yet to come. I agree. She would be a fantastic villain or uh, perhaps even if a, a fantastic uh hero in in some kind of form or fashion but as it, as it stands right now I'd, I'd probably give her a, a 68 all right on my end i think it's cool to note that she's the youngest actor to be nominated for a sag award for supporting and as we had mentioned you know youngest ever to be invited to the academy i think those are pretty cool moments again you you have to ask the question of is she like one of those promising young prospects who comes out of the gate hot and can she maintain or did she hit her ceiling already? And I think it remains to be seen from that standpoint. But one thing I noticed watching a lot of her stuff, because I, I did find some time to watch a variety of things across the decades. And regardless if she's a lead or a supporting actor, in almost every movie that I watched, the movie revolves around her character. Even if she's not the lead, when she was a kid, when she's a teenager, and when she's an adult, it tends to... F- follow her character storyline in some way, shape, or form. Not just providing a little color commentary or a laugh here and there. She's not very comedic, so I didn't give her many points there, but I have to respect the fact that most of the stories and films revolve around her character's plight. Interesting. Zygote was cool. I want to see her do more horror thriller stuff. I think she could really excel there. I gotta give her credit for some of her off-the-screen stuff. She plays violin and piano. She dances ballet she's a huge karaoke fan i don't know you guys can judge her accordingly when they asked her like what movie could you never turn off she said almost famous so like her favorite movie love almost famous so i can vibe with that um and i just think she's really interesting like last time we talked about comparing bonnie hunt to helen hunt because of name recognition you know comparing her to her sister Elle fanning who is doing some fantastic stuff right now I think it's going to be an interesting comparison going forward because Dakota came out of the gate so strong. Elle kind of rode her coattails, rode her momentum to her own successful career. And it, it doesn't look like it's created any animosity or tension. They spent all of COVID together. Dakota said she wants Elle to narrate her life story at some point. So they're very close. I'm sure they're competitive, but it doesn't look like it's to a point of animosity. So with all that said, I will respectfully disagree on the pop culture side from earlier. I forget who it was. I think it's James said... Yeah, like I think she's got a huge pop culture impact. Her name is huge, very recognizable. So, with all that, she's going to get a sweet spot number of 69 from me. Warren, round us out. I'm going to go back the other way on the pop culture. There is name recognition, but that's just, I think, in my opinion, it's just because her name is like Dakota Fanning. It's, I think people hear that name, they're like, yes, I've heard that name, but saying that, oh, yeah, it's just two movies, like, 
if you were to ask most girls who like we grew up with, like what name a movie Dakota Fanning's in, most of them will say Uptown Girls. Movie sucked ass. Yeah. That's not one that you really want to be associated <laughs> with. <laughs> yeah, that's you can affiliate them with a movie, and then if you're like, oh, but she was in you know, War of the Worlds, and oh, wait, she played young Reese Witherspoon in Sweet Home Alabama. Oh, yeah, like th- that's her. I think if we got up to, you know, if, if we focused on her from like 2001 up until, I don't know, maybe Coraline, like if that was it and that was like what we were doing it on, basically if we were doing Jacob Trimbley, the that young boy who was in Room with Brie Larson and who was in Good Boys. Oh, that, yeah. I know Jake Trembley. If we were to judge his career, I would say like that's an upward trajectory like the sky's the limit. You know, I think once she gets into high school, once she kind of grows out of that very typecast girl, I think they were just like, well, we kind of owe her one. Like, what the hell do we do? And they were trying to find ways for her to do it. She ended up doing voice work instead of acting for a little bit. And then it was just kind of like one movie after the other. It was just like, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know. And, you know, Secret Life of Bees and Coraline are probably in before, like, Twilight. I really don't want to consider Twilight anything. But, you know, outside of that, the, those two years, like, she really disappears until Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And then, like, like you, some people couldn't even point her out just because she had such a small role. And you know, while I do think there is hope for her in the future, yes, she, she could be more of a, you know, the, uh, she acted along with Tony Collette in quite a few things. And, you know, that kind of a role, like in Hereditary, a very emotionally driven movie, which I hadn't, I hadn't watched any of her movies in the past 10 years. Um, so I like Brimstone, I wasn't able to see anything like that or Zygote or something like that. So I'm, I'm just kind of going off what you guys said on that. She acts because she likes it. Um, I don't know if I laughed in a single movie that she was in. Um, so not funny. <laughs> <laughs> Up- Uptown Girls is probably the closest thing you're going to get to comedy from her. And her career. I just want you to know you're not funny. All right. Stop trying to be funny. For the brand, baby. Yeah, this one's hard. Um now he's def- looking at his old def- scores. Yeah, she's definitely like I like Bonnie Hunt more. And she's she's done more for like the pop culture and she's worked, in my opinion, a lot harder to because she's funny. <laughs> Bonnie Hunt is funny. And uh, you hear that, Bonnie? I'm gonna give I'm gonna, give, da- I'm gonna give Dakota a 54. All right, what do we got average wise? That puts Dakota Fanning at a 63.83, which is 28th, which has her in between Maya Rudolph and Regina Hall. You guys are so lucky that I gave her the lowest score. Like, you know, <laughs> you're like, if it wasn't for me, the score would be ridiculous and everything would be ruined. You guys are lucky I gave her the lowest score. Thank you. <laughs> Dude, you're not kidding. Because if you gave her like a 60, she would only be 27. Ugh, we can't have that. Do you want it for the cause, James? So just thank me for my service, goddammit. Fuck you, James. <laughs> you're a charmed man, James. So charmed. You're, you're welcome, everybody. All right, Warren, what has she got coming? I'm um, not talking right now. James is a dick. <laughs> <laughs> no, always um, always so bounce back after the Warren haste to just let you have your own segment. <laughs> she's, got, she's got four projects coming up. 
She's got The Nightingale, which is in post-production right now, which I read the synopsis of it. Two sisters living in France are torn apart on the onset of World War II. Based on a book, probably not going to go watch that one anytime soon. Directed by Melanie Laurent. TV series called The First Lady. She plays Gerald Ford's wife. There you go, James. And then uh, she's also... I think producing and acting in The Bell Jar. So Sylvia Plath, probably a one you're going to want to stick your head in an oven for. (laughs) (laughs) The Nightingale will be the first time that her and Elle work together since I am Sam. Well, I guess since they did voice work for my neighbor Totoro. That's true, yeah. Five actors were throwing onto that wheel for episode 37. They are Seth Green. Dominic Purcell, Lynn Shea from Real Munson's fame, Betty Gilpin, and Rosamund Pike. What do we love? What do we hate? hate the low amount of uh, download numbers we're going to have because this wheel fucking sucks. <laughs> Dude, I feel like Lynn Shea, that's our moment, man. If we're a, mon- if we're a Kingpin-themed episode, we can get her on. I, s- I know we can. So I want to do Lynn Shea. No, we can't. We, we're, not, we're not that good. Um, <laughs> if, it, if it is her, we, we know what our outgoing quote will be. be like, ah, oh, stop it. It's not that bad. Like that's that's how we got to finish on. What is it about good sex that makes you have to crap? <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me, it's either Seth Green or Rosamund Pike. Yeah, yep. I, I, I think those Rosamund are the top Pike. two. Yeah, Rosamund I like Pike. Betty Gilpin. I like uh, Gilpin. I just want, I think we need to give her some more time before we yeah, hit Gilpin. I think Ro- the Rose- Rosamund Pike is just the complete psycho in Gone Girl. Just, this is yeah. true. Just Jeez. great. Dominic Purcell is an interesting guy. I don't know. I'd rather, I'd rather right. be like Dominic Cooper, but yeah, Dominic yeah. Purcell's all right. Yeah, he's in a lot of smaller stuff. Yeah, I only know him as the brother in Prison Break. I legit can't think Me of him. Me too. Role I can't think him. of anything he's in either. He's in Blade he's Trinity. In, he's in Blade Trinity. <laughs> <laughs> he plays Dracula. Killer movie, man. Sounds yeah. awesome. We could change it to Dominic West, who plays uh, McNulty in The Wire. He's in 300, right? Is that him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I mean, legitimately, what what, what has Seth Green been in the last like 10 years? Has he been on Chicken? Yeah, um, just Family Guy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but he was big in the, what, the 90s, early 2000s. I mean, Huge, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Like, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, without awesome a paddle, powers, baby. Rat, rat race. Awesome powers can't hardly wait. The Italian oh, job. Right. Scotty, without, baby. W- without a paddle. Oh, I love without a paddle. One of my faves. I love can't hardly wait. That's a great movie. We'll see. Wheel decides. It's not us. Yeah, it sure does. Sam, it was lovely, man. Your review of Cat in the Hat is not what I expected, but holy fuck, it was an absolute <laughs> killer, man. We appreciate yeah. you being here. Any wise words or plugs you want to make? You guys just keep doing what you're doing. I enjoy it. I'm going to try to watch some stuff that you mentioned that I didn't know much about, in particular Zygote, but uh, I'm a fan, and uh, y'all, y'all keep it going. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm trying to tell people left and right that are movie fans to get on to the Munsons. Fuck. Hell yeah. Thanks, buddy. Hey, man, thanks for jumping on us. You were awesome. Thanks, Sam. Fun. Yeah, yeah. Dude, that, Appreciate your brother. Your review was hysterical. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. Warren said you were going to come in with some fucking fire, some zingers, and you you did not disappoint. So. delivered. This Do what true. I can. Do what I can. All right, next podcast hits June 3rd. Uh, our featured guest is Tony from the Flix X-Raid podcast, so we'll have a new guest joining us. 
for the wheel that we just mentioned there. Um, you can find us on Twitter, on Munson's at Movies. You can catch us on Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from the Munson's? I'll have you fired, replaced, just like that. You're nothing but dog shit, mister. Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we?